Welcome. My name is Lee Maxey. I'm the CEO here at MindMax. And we do a series of podcasts we call Mind Maxing. And this series is called Reflections and Repositioning. And if you're wondering how higher education is dealing with the global pandemic and their positioning for the future, this podcast is for you. We'll be speaking with some very interesting and smart people who are deans and directors at some of the leading institutions in the United States, hearing about their reflections and how their institutions or how they see higher ed as a whole repositioning itself for the future. So please join me as we hear from one of our interesting guests. Welcome to another Mind Maxing podcast, and I'm delighted to be here with Lynn Rosansky, who we've been working with for a little while, and I've known Lynn for even longer, and, and uh, she's a very thoughtful leader in higher education, uh, has a lot of different viewpoints from many different higher ed experiences, uh, and I'm interested to hear some of her thoughts today. So I'll start off, Lynn, with uh, it's been a heck of a year. Um, today happens to be Inauguration Day. Um, and uh, what are some of your reflections from, from this last year? Um, thanks so much, Lee. And uh, yeah, that was the year that was. Uh, glad to put it in the rearview mirror, as I think everybody is. Um, one of the things I think we all walk away from in higher ed now is the realization that um, Online education and distance education is no longer a nice to have, it's a must have. Many of us knew that to begin with, but it kind of was in our faces. Uh, those of us that come from traditional institutions um, have a history of working with faculties that sometimes were a little resistance to, resistant to the idea of you know, doing online, completely remote, asynchronous. They had to do it this year. Um, and I think necessity is the mother of invention. So the realization that this is here to stay, I think is a big takeaway for, for all of us um, in higher ed. I also think that that um, brings to point the idea that the value is in the eyes of the consumer. Um, we heard students' concerns about whether this was really worth the price, um, you know, is this really the experience I signed up for? Uh, and I think that's a legitimate uh, concern that we should be uh, aware of. And it does point us to uh, look carefully at the kind of experience that we're delivering in the online environment. Um, that uh, it's not just every everything is the same. We do have a lot of choices and a lot of uh, opportunities to deliver something in an online environment that is distinctive and really enhances the learner's experience. As you and I uh, have talked about, and we're actually presenting together on value, uh, shortly, but the the uh, the idea of perceived value, I think, is a really important concept. And and the RAB School has been delivering high quality online education for many years, whereas many people have been thrown into the fray uh, in this last year. So, could you talk about uh, some of the ways that you see uh, differentiation in relationship to that value? Um, yeah, so so there are constantly innovation of tools, uh, tool in, in, interactive tools that we can use in our online engagement. I think that we've seen over the last 30 years, actually, an amazing amount of innovation in terms of what it means to have a robust learning experience in the online environment. 
Um, we've been tracking that with a team of learning designers that have constantly been trying to improve and renew in, um, the whole experience that we're delivering our students um, in the online environment. So to integrate the, the current tools, whether it be you know, a, a Slack channel that they're going to use at work um, and finding ways to kind of integrate even some um, synchronous office hours, it's all about the student experience. Um, and it's about trying to find ways to uh, make that experience very robust and deliver the flexibility. Um, we've been focused on the working professionals, of course, um, who don't have any time. And it's been even worse uh, with COVID because the whole concept of having to be working full time and having the kids at home and managing homework and everything else, um, I think has stretched all of us. Um, and that has also brought to, to bear the point that, you know, we, those folks really do need to have the flexibility of being able to kind of click in when they can. Um, I think our technology has been terrific. Um, as you and I are talking right now, this is a, a benefit of where we are. Um, so being able to integrate that technology, the improvement of video, if you think about where video was even 10 years ago, it just wasn't there. So, you know, that's really those technical foundations and having those um, improve has been really valuable in terms of enhancing the student experience, because it is all about the student experience. Ultimately, the value is in the user um, and it's the user's assessment of whether this is going to be valuable or not. You brought me back. I remember our company developing a partnership with a company called Centra in the late 90s who had video calling and it was horrible. <laughs> and, and, and I was in that, that camp of this will never take off. You know, well, it wouldn't have taken off with that level of technology, but you're right. Uh, both the technology and the broadband uh for the most part, ubiquity, but it's not ubiquitous for everyone. But uh, but most most professionals have broadband access. Um, so, given you've had a chance to you know recover, reflect, uh, scramble, and and had some a period of time, I know you're always thinking about what's next and what are some of the things in the short term, next six to nine months that. Uh, you're looking to have happen or you would expect to have happen either at Brandeis or in higher ed as a whole? Um, well, I mean, certainly in, in the world of, you know, sort of delivering professional education, it's, it's going to be more competitive. I mean, everybody's there now. Um, so we're all playing in the same sandbox and that's always a challenge. Um, so one has to constantly uh review and revise and be out there innovating what's going to be the best experience for our students. Are we delivering? So, you know, we immediately jumped into our advisory board meetings with our uh, professional advisory groups to see what's changed in terms of what you need. Um, are we delivering the kinds of skills and competencies that are most important? How quickly are you going through a digital transformation? What are those skills for that are necessary for digital transformation? Have we got those integrated into our portfolio of courses? Um, so that kind of revision that has to happen all the time, but that's sort of the urgency has become um, a little bit more intense right now. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're engaged in doing that in the short term. Um, and, you know, also looking for opportunities. What's going to be next? Um, I think all of us, um, particularly in the area of continuing and professional studies, are looking for 
um, where and how do we meet the need for just-in-time uh, programming? So uh, there's there's been a lot made now of sort of short just-in-time um, skill upskilling, if you will. Um, how are we going to integrate that? I think there is certainly some recognition of the need for that. Um, how are we going to respond? Um, is it degrees? Do we have do we have to look at more stackable kinds of degrees or t- different kinds of options? So I I love I think it's a great practice to involve advisory boards and uh, most professional schools have some level of named advisory boards. <laughs> Some actually use them. Um, so I'm interested in what was some of the feedback that you've been getting uh, about what they're in, what they need or what they want or what they'd like or, or what, you know what's current. So well, what's interesting is certainly things that are not so different, right? I mean, I've been in this business for more than two decades, and uh, so I've heard the same thing. Um, and it's always interesting to me because the hiring managers constantly are always asking for more soft skills, more communication, team building, leadership, management, um, you know, strategic thinking. So the kind of composition of the what we often glibly refer to as soft skills is sort of what they say. That's what makes the big difference. It's the people who have the heart, who have the grit, who have the people skills and um that it's it's that has not changed, um, and I think the the recognition and value to those things have not changed. Interestingly, though, it's a much harder sell to students. So students don't necessarily pick up on like, well, you're going to get to learn leadership because, well, what is that? Um, and they're much more likely to say, give me you know machine learning or AI or you know I want that kind of skill that I know can I put on my resume and I, I'm going to be an expert in this. Um, and so it's a really interesting um, dichotomy in some respects in terms of what the uh, prospective students think they want and what actually the hiring managers are looking for. The irony of if I don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, I may not have enough emotional intelligence to know that I need more emotional intelligence. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. So in the longer term, I mean, fiscal 22 and beyond, uh, you know, I, I believe we're going to see significant changes that it's not going to go back to normal, so to speak. It's We've, we've had changes that are happening and, and are going to lead to other changes going forward. What are some things you see happening or imagine happening in the longer term? Um, you know, I, I, I'm really excited to see actually what's happening at Brandeis University um, in the full-time faculty. They've embraced the um, need to learn how to teach and learn and what is the teaching learning experience in an online or hybrid environment. There's been a huge um, embracing and, and search for advice, counsel, tools, techniques, um, and also some real innovation. So we're seeing some um some of our you know, creative arts faculty are in finding ways to teach drawing in a remote way that is really unique and encouraging. Um, and it's kind of outside of the, the normal mainframe, but that's, that's the sort of innovation that I'm excited that was likely to happen um, as a consequence of where we've been, right? So nothing like putting people into, you have to do this, to then say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, then maybe I better do it well. Um, and so being able to kind of think about 
How do I do it well? What is it going to be? Are there creative in new ways to, to use the space and to use the, you know, the fact that you could have a class of, you know, distributed students in different places. Um, and I think we will see some really exciting innovation from um, dedicated faculty who really do want to provide and know the value of providing a very amazingly robust and rigorous learning experience to their students. Um, and so I expect that, whereas to date at Brandeis, the RAB school has been sort of the provider and the source of mostly all of the asynchronous online learning. Uh, my expectation is that's going to be diffused and distributed across the university in ways that we haven't even thought about yet, which actually makes it very exciting, right? So it becomes sort of a multimodality, um, all engaged in sort of a, a learning experience, a teaching learning experience. So I've thought of, you know, continuing ed, professional uh, studies, schools within universities as sort of being on the uh, on the interface with the community or the interface with, you know, professions and, and, uh, and knowing the learner really well, that adult learner really well. Um, do you see a role uh, of helping faculty understand a, a, a non-undergrad uh, uh, in terms of who the learner is and what they need? That's a really interesting question. And I think we... Um... In, in many of the traditional institutions, there's still the, exists this tension between, you know, the research agenda and the teaching agenda, right? So in a research one institution, such as Brandeis University, um, many faculty um, really are, you know, they, they have a research agenda that, that sort of supersedes a lot of the teaching agenda. And it will take those folks getting tenure before they're going to, you know, begin to, mm -hmm. and even some of them will never, like they're just going to be focused on their research and their grad students, which are full-time PhD students that can, you know, work in their labs. Um, and, and we need that. We need that scientific advance. And also if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we also really need that innovation um, in those labs, right? Um, so, so I don't think that's going to change. Um, I do feel like there's a commitment to the lifelong learning, right? In the sense that, um, you know, the unit, the institution as a whole, I mean, I don't think I'm going to get too many faculty who from research faculty coming over to, to do professional education. Um, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but I do think that they will recognize the value and place of professional education um, and that the sort of lifelong learning is going to become the mantra. Many institutions have, have been, it right. Oh, we're all about lifelong learning, and you know the Osher Institutes have proliferated across the country um, as vehicles for lifelong learning. And I think what this COVID thing has done, and certainly we've seen that at our, our Brandeis Osher Institute, that is part of RAB, is that we now can deliver a lifelong learning remotely in a very robust and rich ways um, to folks that tremendously see it as a lifeline. Um, you know, the the people who are. Um, participants in our Bali program um, are absolutely thirsty for the engagement and for the rich, robust intellectual um, activity that happens and that we can now deliver it in an, in an hybrid and online way. So I think that will grow. Um, it will be continually recognized. Um, I think one of the challenges, frankly, for those of us in the professional education is 
we've been a little slow in academia. We've been a little slow to recognize what is meaningful and important to the professional, uh, to, to the hiring managers. And we've actually given up some of the professional training to career training, that is, to companies, right? Because we've, we've, hidden behind, you know, schools for executive education, very expensive, other kinds of academic uh, policies and processes and practices. Um, And so we haven't always been as aligned with our industry partners as we should be. Um, And I think there's still an opportunity to do that. Um, I think that it will take work because we've got some skepticism out there around um, whether we really are committed to teaching the skills that they need. Um, And I think that, but I do think we could deliver it um, if we, if we work hard at it. Well, thank you, Lynn. And any closing thoughts or comments that you'd like to add? Um, you know, every time there's a disruptive disruption like that, you know, the crisis, like what we, we have to make the best of a good crisis. So we, we really should look at this as a time for, for innovation and looking for opportunities. Um, the times that I've been found most rewarding in my own career have been when we've been able to co-create something. And so being able to kind of take these, uh, the, the thirst for the new skills that is out there the change in our environment in terms of the increasing digitization, which is only going to increase. I mean, I don't think companies are going to go back to the old school way of operating, you know, in offices. So they're going to be relying on digital platforms. And that does mean a different set of skills, even just the basic management and leadership skills will be slightly different. Um, So I'm really looking forward to seeing what kinds of creative uh, ways people come up with in terms of the teaching and learning around some of those demands and what kinds of new creative partnerships will emerge as well. Great. Well, thank you very much. And and thank you for joining me for another Mind Maxing podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Lynn Rosen. My pleasure, Lee. This has been another interesting Mind Maxing podcast. Please listen to the other podcasts on this series or look for us later this summer when we release our next series of podcasts.